0: So, the Oscars happened uh, a couple days ago. Um, needless to say, they were very interesting. And uh, I'm just going to discuss them a little bit. We have other topics as well we're going to go over, but we're going to kick it off with the Oscars. Um, just my overall general thoughts. Um, I didn't really enjoy this year's Oscars very much, but not for any of the reasons that had to do with the the winners. I had no problem with the winners, no problem with the nominees. Uh, I thought everybody... Who won? Certainly deserved it. Yeah, sure. I probably would have liked to see a movie like West Side Story. Maybe take home a couple more awards, just because I really, really enjoyed that film, and I and I generally think it was one of the best films that came out last year. Other than that, that's really it. Um, a lot of people are talking about the fact that Will Smith still won his award, and um, we'll we'll get into that. Um, but before I get into the whole into the whole Will Smith situation, because that's pretty much The only thing that everybody's talking about from the Oscars. I'm just going to go over the winners just in case you didn't really uh, have the time to watch. And I'll just go over the the sort of heavy hitters. Um, Best actor or sorry, best picture was Coda. Coda won a lot of awards uh, and and certainly deserved it. Um, Best actor, Will Smith, King Richard. Uh, Best actress, uh, Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, Best supporting actor, uh, Troy Coetzer from Coda. He was the uh, father in the film who... Was deaf. Uh, he gave an incredibly emotional speech, all in sign language. So that was very, that was very nice to see. Um, Best Supporting Actress: Ariana DeBose from West Side Story. That was nice to see. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't think she was gonna win. Uh, I know she was nominated, and and I'm and I'm certainly glad she was. I honestly think uh, Kristen Dunst was gonna win it, and she was probably my my pick for when it when it comes to Best Supporting Actress. Uh, I was. I was hoping West Side Story would win Best Picture. Um, Either that or Power of the Dog. Those are the two that I uh, wanted to, well, one or the other. Those are one of the two that I would have liked to see win Best Picture. But Coda certainly deserved it. Uh, No no real complaints there. Anyways, uh, Best Original Screenplay went to Belfast. I haven't watched Belfast, so not too sure how good that film is. Uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, Coda. Uh, Visual Effects. Now, this is is pretty cool uh, and interesting as well. Visual effects, Dune. Best original score, Dune, Hans Zimmer. Best cinematography, Greg Frazier for Dune, who also was the cinematographer for The Batman. Uh, Dune then continued on to win uh, Best Film Editing, Best Production Design, and Best Sound. But here's the interesting part, though. It got all those awards in other nominations as well. But Denis Villeneuve, the director, director for films like Prisoners, films like uh, Arrival, um, Blade Runner 2049, he is a, he's an incredibly talented director. He's a visionary. He's a genius. He didn't get a nomination for Best Director, which I think is pretty interesting considering the film took home six awards. That's, uh, yeah, I don't know about that one, but... Anyway, so those are just the winners for, you know, the the main awards that most people care about. Um, But let's talk about the Will Smith situation. Uh, First of all, uh, it was wrong, right? I've seen some people on the internet try and, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say defend him, but sort of create excuses as to why he did it, right? There's no excuse. He shouldn't have walked up on stage and slapped Chris Rock. There's there's no reason for it. That's not how you live in a society, right? You're going to come across a lot of people in life that'll say things to you that you don't like, right? People are going to call you names, people are going to say this and that. These are like basic fundamental societal rules that you learn as like a child in in in, in kindergarten, right? Like you you are told and you are you learn from a very young age, you cannot hit people. Violence is not tolerated. And there are rules and consequences for those who decide to break the societal rules of violence, right? That's why there's prisons. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's why people get charged. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, if Chris Rock decided to move forward and press charges, we know that he he decided not to do that. But if he decided to do it, I don't think, like, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I would completely understand. Um, as for why he didn't decide to do that, that's, I'm not too sure. That's sort of his decision. But, yeah, there's really no way to, to, to sort of slice this. Uh, he straight up shouldn't have done that. Now, sure, everybody has made mistakes. Everybody has... Uh, you know, um, done things in their lives that they, they, that they regret. They've, they've acted very quickly in certain situations, whether they say something or, you know, in this case, they hopefully not, but people have gotten in fights before and whatnot. So we've all sort of, you know, been in moments where we were reactionary to the circumstance and we, uh, we acted out of, out of character for, who we normally are, right? We've all done that. We've all had our worst day. Um, but this is different. This is during a cer- this this was during a ceremony that celebrates film, right? There's no place for violence unless you're, you're a professional fighter in the UFC. Other than that, there's no place for violence. And and this was just There's no way to justify this at all. Like I said, I've seen lots of people saying, like, you know, he was standing up for his wife, right? Like, there's lots of other ways you could stand up for your wife. There was other ways he could have handled the situation. Um, I'm not trying to say Chris Rock's joke was, uh, you know, um, okay. Like, sure, it probably was a little bit insensitive, but you know, at the end of the day, the guy is a comedian, right? This is what he does, Uh, and, and Will Smith. Should just know better, um, and, and you know I'm sure a lot of you probably already know this, but if you watch the clip, Will Smith actually looked like he was laughing at the joke, right? It wasn't up until he saw his wife's reaction that he then decided to take the stage and you know hit Chris Rock. So it's 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 just really a, a fucked up situation to be quite honest with you, um, and it totally just overshadowed the whole Oscars like even for me I, I haven't really talked about any of the award winners with anyone like every person I've discussed the Oscars with the first thing somebody talks about or says is the will Smith situation and how can you not how can you not talk about that right it was like it's just such a like absurd thing right and I watched this whole thing live I was doing homework while I was watching the Oscars and I remember I was sitting there, It was already it already kind of caught me off guard to see Will Smith just walk up on stage. I did think at first it was staged. Even the slap, I thought that was that was part of a bit or something to you know spark some engagement because we do know that the Oscars viewership has been declining over these years. So I I thought this was at first I thought it was some sort of drastic you know form of like role play to sort of get everyone excited. I I don't know. But then once I saw Will Smith sit down, he continued to yell things. And for my my television that I was watching from, they actually just cut his audio. So you couldn't even hear what he was saying. And then furthermore, once I saw Chris Rock's reaction, the dude looked stunned, right? And anybody would be stunned. Like, how do you proceed moving forward? And I think he did it the best way anybody could have in that situation. He could have easily resorted to you know, yelling like, hey, like get this fucking guy out of here. Like, like you're just going to let him walk up on stage and hit me where right? he could have easily called for security or, or something, right? And it would, totally would have just, it would have been totally justified for him to, to, to just walk off stage after and be like, you know, fuck this, I'm not doing this anymore, right? But instead, you know, he made kind of a joke out of it. He said, Will Smith just, Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me, right? Totally just, professional and uh just a humble way to approach that um i I think humble is the wrong word right i I just i think he handled that the best way he could have uh and just props props to him um now as for chris chris rock's joke right did he know that jada smith had uh the disorder or the uh disease I, i i can't pronounce it properly i think it's called uh Alo, alopecia allope, or something. I'll, I'll I'll look it up here. Um, let me see. Alo. Okay. I uh, I think it's pronounced alopecia. We'll just go with that. Did he know that Will Smith's wife Jada Smith? Did he know that she had that? Well, the answer is it doesn't matter. Okay. At the end of the day, he's a comedian. Now, sure, there is a line that you cannot cross. Like, obviously, like you wouldn't make fun of someone that's, you know, terminally ill of cancer or like that. That's that's on their deathbed. Yeah, you obviously don't make a joke like that. But whether he knew or not, it's really inconsequential. Like, it, it does. It still does not justify Will Smith going up on stage and smacking Chris Rock. It doesn't. Right, there's no justification for that kind of behavior. And um, as for what the Oscars are going to do, there's been a lot of cl- uh, conflicting reports that they asked him to leave, but then there's other, there's other reports saying that the producers, uh, you know, said he could stay. So I'm not really sure about what happened behind the scenes shortly after the, the whole thing went, uh, went down. Um, but as for you know, disciplinary measures for the situation. Um, I'm not too sure. I've heard a lot of rumors that there could be uh, a suspension, you know, as for how long, you know, it could be anywhere from like, uh, here's what I would do. Okay, here's what I would do. I would probably suspend him for like five to six years. Um, Now, there's also rumors that the Academy could go pretty extreme with this and just totally expel him from ever coming back to the Oscars and furthermore ever being a part of the Oscars, right? So even if he's not there, if there's a film and he's nominated, like he'll never get nominated, he'll never be a part of the Academy in any sort of capacity. And that's a pretty big deal, right? I don't know how that could affect the, uh, his career in general, Will Smith, like will directors and actors wanna work with him knowing that this sort of reputation that he's now built up from that incident, could it affect the film? Like, I don't know, that's, that's thinking really long-term. Um, Will Smith is going to continue having a career. He's going to continue being in films. Like that's that's, that's that that he he's not going to get completely canceled for that. Um at least I don't think so. We'll see what happens. Um Now should his Oscar be taken away? I also don't think so because there's been a lot of other Oscar winners in the past that have done really really uh bad things and have said really bad things in the public eye. Um so if you're going to take his award away, well then you probably need to consider taking other people's awards away if you're gonna hold that same standard of disciplinary action to Will Smith. So I don't think it should be taken away. If this even if the situation didn't happen, and obviously it did, just going off of the performances, like let's just forget about this for a second. Just going off of the performances, Will Smith I think did deserve to win the Academy Award for Best Actor for his film, um King Richard, I thought I thought he was incredible in that performance. Uh, You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, Andrew Garfield should have won. And I've talked about this before. I feel like a lot of the people that support, excuse me, that uh, support Andrew Garfield and want him to win Best Actor, I feel like a lot of that comes from the fact that he's had a big year on the big screen, right? A big year on the big screen. That's funny. Um, And and, and more specifically, I think it's because of the Spider-Man stuff. I think people really, really liked... Uh, him returning as Spider-Man. He stole the show, in my opinion, in No Way Home. So I think a lot of people, you know, I think some of that support for him to win the award came from that. But anyways, um, now since this has happened, the whole Will Smith situation, he has put out a public apology on Instagram. And I will admit, like, the apology was was pretty good. You know, he didn't beat around the bush. He directly apologized to Chris Rock and, um, here I'll, I'll actually read the apology here for for people that haven't um for people that haven't actually seen it. I'm sure most of you probably have at this point. Uh, let me see. Will Smith. Okay. So here's the apology. Violence in all of its forms is poisonous and destructive. My behavior at last night's Academy Awards was unexcusable and, and it was unacceptable and inexcusable. Jokes at my expense are part of the job. That's true. But was a joke about Jada's medical condition? Sorry, but a joke about Jada's medical condition was too much for me to bear and I reacted emotionally. I would like to publicly apologize to you, Chris, I was out of line and I was wrong. I was I am embarrassed and my actions are not indicative of the man I want to be there is no place for violence in a world of love and kindness. I would also like to apologize to the Academy, the producers of the show, all the attendees and everyone watching around the world. I would like to apologize to the Williams family and my King Richard family. I deeply regret that my behavior has stained what has been an otherwise gorgeous journey for all of us. I am a work in progress sincerely will. So to me, at least it just in my opinion, in my perspective, I think that was a pretty good apology. Um, but it doesn't stop there he's certainly going to have to do more i think to uh you know not fix what he's done cuz the the footage is going to be out there forever you know he slapped chris rock like that that's never going to change so but i think there's still a lot more he can do uh but that was a great start i think that apology was was well said he didn't like i said he didn't beat around the bush he didn't make any excuses and he was honest and and, and and said, "Hey, like, there's there's no place for violence. I shouldn't have done that. I am sorry, Chris. You you really can't say any more than that. And and he's lucky. Chris Rock isn't taking further measures, you know, involving the police. He he's lucky he's not suing him, right? Because he he's well within the right to do that. So yeah, um, that's sort of my take on the Will Smith situation. Um, I, I'm curious to see what you guys think. I've spoken to a lot of people about it, and and many people I've spoken to feel." kind of the same way as me. So uh, let me know what you guys think about it and uh, write it down in the comments below and we'll have a conversation. Um, but anyways, moving on, we are going to talk about Moon Knight. Moon Knight is out. I've discussed this show many, many times on this podcast and I've expressed my excitement for it and I've, I've been very, very excited, but I've also built up a lot of anticipation for it and let's get into it. Right off the bat, you know, I was I was like pretty shocked with that first scene when it shows uh, Ethan Hawke's character, who who I I think is the antagonist of the show. We see him crushing up a glass cup, taking the shards of that glass cup and putting it in his sandals, and then proceeds to put them on and, and walk. I don't know if that's part of you know this sort of um, cult or 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 uh, ritual that he's sort of a part of um, with the with the alligator. Uh, you know tattoo that he has. I, I'm not too sure. I'm also not um too familiar with like the deep lore of Moon Knight, but as someone who isn't very familiar with the show, I thought this first episode was was really really good overall. Um, I I really really liked the approach they took to his mental health. Um, I thought it was really, you know, upsetting when you see Steven the, the personality that we're introduced with in the beginning of the show, we see him going for his date, right? Oh, sorry. Before I continue, I'm going to be talking spoilers. I'm going to be talking spoilers. Uh, so just that's your warning. But anyways, when we see Steven try and go for his date, he thinks that it's Friday, but because he's sort of out of the loop because of, you know, the, the dissociative identity disorder that he has, we see that he missed his date by two days and he he calls the girl and he says, Hey, like I'm here It's stake time. And the girl's like, you stood me up and now you're going to call me and, and act like things are normal. It's Sunday, but we could see that it's not like he, he didn't mean to do that, right? These are the effects that his mental, that his mental health and his, and his condition has caused him, you know, like to, to be right. Like it's not like he, was trying to be a dick or trying to be some asshole. It's just like he wanted to be there, but because he's not really in the most healthy condition, it, you know, he unfortunately missed it, right? Um, You know, what else can I say here? Uh, and, and and yeah, I, one of the most interesting things about the episode was we can tell that he's, we could tell when he's transitioned personalities because we see Steven wake up in these random areas, these random sort of, towns like we see him wake up on that sort of field in this northern european looking uh, community and his like jaws you know popped out of place and people are shooting at him and i think that's a really really interesting part of the show it's like steven thinks he has a sleeping disorder but the reality is is that he has other personalities that are taking over in the middle of the night and that's why they're leaving and that's why he he thinks he's sleepwalking that's why he attaches that sort of uh um, chain or, 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 uh, or leash to his ankle. And then we see the sand guy. Am I the only one that noticed the sand kind of resembled, you know, a moon? I, I'm sure that was on purpose, but, um, so the interesting, interesting thing is that he doesn't know that a, he has other personality. Well, at least I don't think he knows that. And then B these other personalities, one of them being Mark Spector, you know, he's a mercenary and he's clearly, uh, you know, Got himself involved in some some trouble with some, you know, some of the wrong people and they're coming after him. But when he's Steven, he has no idea what's going on. He's like, why are these people trying to kill me? Right. I'm just, I'm just an innocent guy that works at a gift shop. Um, so that it was, was pretty interesting. And, you know, I'm glad they didn't just show us Moon Knight right away. I really, really liked how they introduced him towards the end of the episode. Um, so those are over overall, just kind of like my thoughts, uh, You know, I I really like this first episode, but I don't think it was better than, you know, the first episode of Loki. I think it was better than the first episode of WandaVision. Um, And and I'm really excited to see where this show goes. Uh, I I really like the mystery aspect to it. It's sort of a different way of storytelling because obviously now you have almost other characters that you have to sort of, you know, explain and and show their perspective being the other personality. So I can't wait till we fully see like Moon Knight and I think we're gonna see more of him in that second episode um I also imagine the second episode is probably gonna really kind of make that Steven identity understand like oh I have other personalities I think one of them one of them is Mark Specter, and I think the other is Jake Jake something I can't quite remember but yeah overall I really enjoyed it and I'm excited to see where they continue And as each episode comes out, we're going to cover it each week and and, and whatnot. Um, Now, topic number three, we got Morbius. Uh, I just saw Morbius yesterday. And this film has just been in a roller coaster over the past, you know, whatever, three years. The movie is supposed to come out, I think, first it was supposed to come out in 2020. Um, Then it just kept getting delay after delay after delay. So it's been through a lot. Um, and, and, and there's been news recently that they cut pretty much all this Spider-Man stuff out. So now, as an audience member going into the film, I kind of feel a little bit like like betrayed. It's like you you misled us. You put all these Spider-Man references and connections to just attract us to this character. Because let's be honest, nobody really knows who Morbius is, right? He's a pretty um, you know, B-level character, I guess. So it makes sense why they put all these Spider-Man references, but it but what doesn't make sense is for them to just pull it all out right before the movie comes out, right? So yeah, that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth uh, going into this film. Um, so that definitely brought down some of the anticipation, and it, it's just it just sucks because you know I've talked about this on the show. I I've really only been excited for. You know, to see Morbius for the Spider-Man connections. Otherwise, I don't really give a shit about Morbius, to be quite frank with you. Um, and the fact that they took them all out, well, that really kind of pulled down my anticipation. But I still saw the movie. I saw it with a couple of my friends. We were like, you know what? Let's just go see it. You know, I've heard really nothing but bad things about it. So I, I figured maybe there's some kind of, you know, positive you know, redeeming quality that could be pulled out from this film, or maybe I'll just be searching for it. Uh, and overall, like here's just my general thoughts. It's not really a good movie, uh, but it's not as bad as a lot of other people are saying it is. I don't think it's like the worst comic book movie of all time. I, I sincerely don't. Um, it's definitely not one of the best and it's definitely it's definitely not even in that middle area. It's definitely one of the worst comic book movies, but it's not like the worst. Overall, I would say the movie is like uh I'd say it's like a 2.5 out of 5 stars. It's what's like one word I could say. It's uh it's okay. It's not terrible, it's really not good. It's just okay. It, it's, it's watchable at, at least. Like it's it's not a movie that, you know, I was watching yesterday. I never once considered getting up and walking away. Um now there's a lot of things I don't like about it, uh, particularly the third act. I thought the third act just felt like a cluster of, you know, shortcuts and and and, and, and weird you know, dialogue between some of the characters. The writing in this film was 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 kind of odd. It kind of threw me out of a out of a loop a couple of times. Um the first, you know, forty-five minutes of this film, I actually was kinda of eating up. I thought it was interesting. Um there were some cheesy moments here and there. You know, overall I thought Jared Leto was was pretty interesting as a character. Um and I think overall the idea of Morbius as, you know, as a as a character is it's interesting, right? Like it's a vampire, and you know, I, I it's been a while since we've really seen vampires kind of be prevalent on screen. Uh, so you know, it's it's sort of intriguing. Um, but yeah, the third act was just, yeah, that, that's where the movie kind of lost me. I was looking over to you know, over to my friends, and they were all just laughing. Uh, now let's address the post-credit scenes, they were pretty bad, <laughs> and there's a couple reasons why they were really, really poor. Uh, the first one. We see, once again, spoilers. Um, We see Aaron Toomes, the character of uh, Vulture from uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. We see him make a return. And we see him come into this universe, which first of all, already presents a plot hole. What happened in Spider-Man No Way Home is Doctor Strange was sending the villains that came from other universes back to their universe. That's why we saw Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire fade away and go back to their universe, right? So, with Michael Keaton, it doesn't really make sense because he was already in that universe with Tom Holland. So, why would he be going elsewhere? That right there doesn't really make much sense. Maybe they'll provide some kind of explanation in the future films. So, that's just the first thing. Um... And then we see him and he's like, "You know, I hope the food's better in this joint." Uh so, you know, whatever. Um and then we see that because he's he's really unfamiliar by people. Well, Actually, nobody really knows him in this universe. He's pretty much like a new person that just dropped into this place. So because of that, nobody knows his crimes and and, and technically he hasn't committed any crimes in in this universe. So they let him out. They let him loose. So that's it for the first post-credit scene. Then we see him in the second one, and then we see Morbius driving a you know a nice car or whatever, and he, he he's going to meet Vulture, uh, and then Vulture approaches, and you know I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, hey, you know, like, I think I'm here because of Spider Man, uh, you know, I think we should we should team up, you know, we should get together and uh, you know do some good and, and 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 whatever, right? Right then and there, that was already just straightforward, uh, you think a guy that's coming into this universe would probably want to like get himself established, find a place to stay, right, we know he had a family, we know that the the, uh, the his daughter was, you know, with, with Peter in the first, well, not with Peter, but like they went to, you know, homecoming and stuff like that, so you don't think he would try and like find his, his wife and his kids, make sure they're okay, instead he's just like, I gotta stop Spider-Man, right, it just, I don't know, doesn't really make much sense. Then again, it is you know a fictitious story, so I don't want to look too deep into that. Um, but then yeah, and then he's like, you know, I think we should really team up and, and, and whatever. And the Morbius is all he says is intriguing. It's like does Morbius even know who Spider Man is, right? Like, it, it what what is the motivation? For Jared Leto. like, we know the motivation for Michael Keaton, at least, right? We, we know that. But what's the motivation for Morbius? Morbius should have been like, yo, who the fuck is Spider-Man? And who are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, instead, he's just like, oh, that's intriguing. Like, I don't know. It's totally out of place for Morbius. The film built him up to be this, this sort of anti-hero. This guy that wants to do good, but he has this cursed you know, demon within him being the vampire Morbius, but we know at the end of the day, his, the, the ethics are there. The morality is there. He wants to be a hero. He wants to help people, right? We, we, we see in the beginning of the film, he has this genetic disorder that he's been fighting his whole life to cure and to help others like him. So we know that he's at heart, he wants to be a good person. So for him to just say, like, that's intriguing. It goes against everything that they developed with his character. It almost just wipes the movie right out or it just throws it right out the window. It, it just doesn't really make sense. And even for Michael Keaton, he just, like, the the dialogue and, and it was very just sort of, like, you know... He he sounded like the the cliche menacing villain that we've seen, like the the mustache twirling like, <laughs> like it just it didn't seem it didn't even seem like his character that we've seen from the other Spider-Man films. So just the the dialogue and you know the 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 back and forth between them and just everything about it really just didn't make sense for either of the characters, but especially for Morbius. So yeah, um, just to kind of go over summarize my thoughts again, I was sort of enjoying the first half an hour, 45 minutes of this film. The third act lost me, and the post-credit scenes were not very good. Um, I wouldn't say it's the worst comic book film of all time, but it's definitely the worst post-credit scenes of all time. And the thing is like, the, the post-credit scenes on paper, cause I'm not gonna lie, I I saw the leaks and I was aware of what, what, what happens in the post-credit scenes before I watched the film, so I knew what was gonna happen. On paper, it sounded interesting, and I think with a different approach, they could have been really exciting post credit scenes, but I think the approach and just everything about it was just done the wrong way. Um, But anyways, that's my thoughts on Morbius, and uh, let me know what you guys think, if you've seen the film at all. Moving on, uh, we're going to discuss the new deleted scene that's just been released from the Batman Uh, And for those of you who haven't seen the scene, just kind of like a little description of it, it was cut from the film, but it was supposed to be the Batman uh, going to see the Joker in Arkham Asylum um, and just trying to basically uh, see if he can get some insight onto how, you know, the Riddler thinks by talking to another serial killer being the Joker. Very similar to Silence of the Lambs with Clarice going to visit uh, Hannibal Lecter. Um, Very, very reminiscent of that. And it gave us really our first look at the Joker. We obviously had that one scene in the uh, in the film when, when he's speaking from his cell to the Riddler, but we didn't really get to see an actual look at his face. And even in this scene, they intentionally blur out uh, you know, the, uh, the the window so you can't actually really see his face up until that final shot where the camera starts with his eyes and it pans down, slowly showing his whole face. Um, but this is really our first look At the Joker for, you know, four or five minutes. It was a pretty long deleted scene. And I'll be honest, I fucking loved it. I thought it was great. But I understand why they took it out. And I think they, you know, I I still think that the, the scene should have been taken out of the film. But I loved it. I loved it. And it's such a promising sign at what's to come in the future because we do know that this this joker will return i don't think he's going to be the villain of the second film but i think he's definitely going to be the villain of the third and i think that was a that would be a great way to end this trilogy unless they decide to continue making more films after i'm not too sure but you know by hollywood standards usually superheroes get three films in their in their franchise unless thor you know breaking the barriers there but We'll see. So I think we I think they're setting him up to be the villain uh of the third film. But I do think we'll see him again in the second film, similar to how we saw him in this film. Just very brief kind of continuing to plant that seed. Might even see him in the Arkham series that's coming out. But anyways, back to the scene. I I thought it was great. I thought the interaction between him and Batman was perfect. The scene when when he's when he, when the Joker asks Batman like, "Do you think I get off on this stuff?" and Batman's like, don't you? It was, oh, that just gave me chills. That made the hairs on my arm raise. Gave me goosebumps. It was really, really exciting. And just as for Barry Keegan, the actor playing the Joker, just on his, just as, just for his performance as a Joker, I thought it was great. And I thought it's a very great sign of what's to come from that character in this version of it. I'm honestly like, like I'm, I'm blown away. Just, just off of the little bit that we've seen, I think he is going to be legendary in this role. Now, I'm not saying, you know, he's going to be better than Heath Ledger. I don't think anybody will ever top Heath Ledger's performance in The Dark Knight. I just think that was like once in a lifetime. It was just like, it was amazing. So, I don't think anybody is ever going to do better than that performance. But I do think this could be better than Joaquin Phoenix's performance as Joker. And I do think that, well... I think it'll it'll definitely be better than Jared Leto's take on the Joker. Although I, I still think Jared Leto's take is not as bad as some people say it is. It is probably one of the worst, but it's still not as bad. But I digress. Um, I, I think it could be like the second best, you know, take we've seen on the Joker. But I also don't really want to do like the whole comparing thing. It's just it kind of takes away the joy of, you know, and, and the appreciation of it. Let's just say, you know, I think it could be really, really good. And I really like the way they made his face look like we saw scars on Heath Ledger's Joker. Like obviously with, with the, you know, he kind of explained it. We don't really don't know the Heath Ledger's backstory entirely. That was on purpose. But he explained a couple times that like I took a knife in my mouth and I did this like and he does the whole. I'm not going to act it out for you. Um, But, you know, that was one sort of, you know, take we saw, you know, with, with some scars but Barry Keegan's Joker, his face just looks like deformed. It, like, there's scars everywhere. It, like, it just... Now, Matt Reeves discussed in an interview that this Joker has a sort of, like, genetic disease that makes it so he can't stop smiling. So, I'm not sure if the scars we've seen are from him already fighting Batman or if they've just uh, been sort of escalated from his already genetic disorder. Um, it almost looks like... like like he was dropped in a vat of acid. It looks like he has burns and scars. Like if you look on his, it shows the clip of him touching the, the files that Batman sort of slid in that little compartment. He's, we see his hands and they, they look like they have like, you know, burns and stuff. Like, you know when, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever like had a burn before. It almost looks like it starts to bubble. Like for example, when I was a kid, I went on my uncle's motorcycle and my calf touched the exhaust pipe. And as soon as it touched the exhaust pipe, it started to bubble. It started to like get that burn sort of effect. Uh, so if you visualize that in your mind, that's very much what some of Barry Keegan's skin looked like. And also I loved the, the, the choice for the hair. You know, I, I'm kind of sick of seeing a long haired Joker. We've seen that like three times now. We saw that in the Zack Snyder Justice League. We saw it with that Joker. Um, then obviously we it with Joaquin and Heath Ledger. I kind of want to see a different, you know, choice for the hair and they really, really took that. Uh, and they, they made a great choice. He's like balding on certain parts of his head and you do see the green hair. There's like certain parts of his green hair. And then, excuse me, going back to the burns that I mentioned, there is one clip in the, in the deleted scene where he sits down and you actually see a clear view of the back of his head and there's even more cuts and burns and stuff. Like I said, I don't know if that's because of that scars from him fighting other people or Batman just beating the shit out of him already. I'm not too sure because we do know that this version of the Joker and Batman, we do know that they have already interacted with each other because the first thing that the Joker says is he's like, mm, our anniversary is almost here, right? So we know that they've already had some uh, history between each other. But yeah, I thought it was great. And it really just got me excited, uh, to see this version of the Joker again. Um, and I I thought it was great, but like I said, I understand why they took it out. And let me just give you my reasons why. And I'm sure you've heard other people probably share my opinion. Uh, a, the Joker looked at this file and within like a minute, described the rest of the film just gave exposition on everything so then it it kind of would have made batman look sort of like an idiot right it's like oh you know they call me the world's greatest detective but this psychopath could just read this file and go full matt damon goodwill hunting and know everything in like five seconds you know what i mean like so that was kind of odd uh furthermore it would have completely taken any interest the audience would have had for the Riddler and just, it would have been overshadowed by the Joker. At least for me. I know like if I saw the Joker, if that scene was in the film, I would have wanted to see more Joker. And then it would have come back to the Riddler and I would have been like, well, I don't really give a fuck about the Riddler anymore. I, I want to see more Joker. So those are two big reasons. Um, and, and and going back to the first reason, you know, he basically explained the rest of the movie. There almost would have been no point for Batman to pursue any more clues or, 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 you know, um, try and find any more hints as to what could be happening. Cause he basically knows now because of, you know, the description that the, uh, that the Joker gave. So yeah, those are, those are the reasons why I think it was good to keep it out. And I, I still think that that scene should have been kept out of the film, but I certainly loved it though. I certainly loved it. And I thought it was it was great just to see that interaction between Batman and Joker. You could tell that they've already had history, whether Batman put him in Arkham or the comps put, put him in Arkham. Who knows? But I thought it was great. And I, I'm curious to see what you guys think about it uh, down in the comments. So A20 film is or A20 film. A24 is one of my like favorite uh, publishing, producing, whatever you want to call them, companies. Uh, they've been making some incredibly great films in the horror, you know, realm and and, and even other genres as well. But specifically, their horror, horror films—I'm sure many people are familiar with films like *Hereditary*, uh, *Midsummer*, at *The Lighthouse*. Especially *The Lighthouse*. Everybody knows *The Lighthouse* is one of my favorite films of all time. It's one of the few that really inspire me to actually pursue acting. So they've made some great films, and they have another one coming out uh, this year called *Men*. Uh, and they just dropped the trailer for it. And I thought I would talk about it today. Cause I think it looks like it could be another one of those fantastic films. Uh, so the trailer, the trailer dropped and the film stars, Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear, Rory Kinnear, if I'm not mistaken, was in, I think the first ever episode of black mirror. And he plays the president in that, in that episode where the president needs to, uh, fuck the pig to save the princess. I think really disturbing episode. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's the actor if, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, it looks really scary and I'm not too sure what it's about. Now we see in the trailer that Jesse Buckley's character obviously is, is dealing with some trauma. It seems like her boyfriend or husband uh, committed suicide, which is very, very tragic for anyone, of course. So it seems like there's definitely some trauma that, that that's happened in her life. And it's, it seems like she's still kind of, you know, dealing with it. I mean, I think anybody's still, I think everybody just that's gone through that. I think, they deal with that their whole life. I don't think it's something that just goes away, but uh you could definitely tell she's struggling with that. Um and then she, I don't know if this is like I don't know if she's moving in to this new house. I just spit everywhere. <laughs> I don't know if she's moving into this house that we see in the trailer or if she's just looking after it almost like uh like The Shining. But anyways, we'll just say she's moving in. So she's moving into this house uh or or actually, I think she is looking after it because when she gets to the house, the individual that she meets is this this guy and he almost looks like he's like the groundskeeper or something like that. Or he's like responsible for this house and he's sort of giving her the rundown on like, you know, what you can and can't do here in this property. So I don't actually think she's moving in. But the gentleman she meets, the actor, Rory Kinnear, we see this guy again and again and again. But it's a, di- it's a different person every time. We even see him as a, playing a child, right? So everywhere she goes, she's speaking to these men, but it's it's the same guy just like redisguised as somebody else. And they're almost all coming after her. And she even explains in the trailer, like there was a man who followed me out, out of this tunnel or, or this bridge because we see her. She's like, she is like standing in front of this uh, underpass and she sees someone on the other side of it. And that person she sees on the other side of it starts running after her. And then it's that, that just looks terrifying, but every person, or at least every male that we're seeing is this same actor and she's interacting with these people. So I'm not sure if this is a case of like, this is something psychological going on within her mind, or if She's like in some kind of twilight zone. This literally looks like an episode of Black Mirror. Am I the only one that thinks that? I I don't know. Or is this literally this same guy, you know, masquerading as different individuals? You know, it's some kind of supernatural element. I'm not too sure, uh, but it looks really, really cool. These are the kind of movies, you know, the sort of, Psychological, mind-bending thrillers. These are the movies that really attract me. I love these kind of films. So, yeah, let me know if you guys have seen the trailer for Men, uh, another A24 film coming out very soon, and I cannot wait. And the last topic today is going to be about Chris Stuckman. Uh, and for those of you who don't know who Chris Stuckman is, he's a he's a YouTuber. He reviews movies and just talks about film and. and things of that nature. But, uh, he's also an aspiring filmmaker. He's, he's talked many times. If you've followed this channel, I'm sure most of you probably know who Chris Stuckman is, but he's expressed in many of his videos that while YouTube is, you know, he enjoys it. His true passion and calling is directing and, and writing and all that stuff. So behind the scenes, he's really been trying to, you know, get into the industry and, uh, and, and we now know that it was reported last year that he's actually directing his first feature film. It's called Shelby Oaks. Uh, you know, from what I know, roughly it's about these uh, YouTubers called the, the paranoid, uh, the paranoid, paranoids or something. I, I'm not entirely sure the paranormal paranoids, I think is the name, but anyway, so he's directing a story that has, has to do with them. Uh, and it sounds very exciting. And, and the guy, I think has a, has a, a beautiful mind. If you hear him talk about films and movies, he's, he's clearly like, he clearly understands. He understands it. And he's very smart. And, and, uh, and I think he's going to kill it. Now he started a Kickstarter to help sort of fund this film. He he's, he's, he's making, and he's talked to many times how, okay, you know, the goal at first was 500 K, but he didn't even think that was really possible. And then it hit 500K. And then he said, you know, guys, let's just, you know, if we could, sh- if we could just try and get to 700K, then it broke 700K. Well, now, now the Kickstarter has surpassed $1 million and it's, it's, it's breaking records. It's creating history for a Kickstarter for a, for a horror film. And first of all, you know, I'm so happy for Chris Duckman. You just, first and foremost, not that he cares what I say. I do he'll probably never even see this. I'm just from a fan. I, I'm super happy for Chris and I'm happy he gets to, you know, live out his dream and people are supporting him. Uh, but furthermore, I also just want to touch on just Chris Stuckman's story in general. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's had a pretty um, traumatic life from what I hear. He, he grew up as a, as a Jehovah's Witness member and you know, he, he talked about it. You can, you watch this video. He talked about it for a whole hour and he talked about some of the tragedies that he faced growing up, um, in that sort of, uh, you know, setting within him and his family. So I'm not going to go into too much detail, but through all of that, he always wanted to direct films and he's finally done it. He's finally manifesting it. And he's discussed many, many times how no one has ever believed in him, uh, and he's just proving them wrong and it was just you know tinder for his fire to to really just kind of just put his head down and just grind and pursue this career in this very tough industry and it really hits home for me uh because i've, I've discussed on this channel how i want to be an actor um and i haven't haven't done anything yet in this space i'm still learning i'm still you know I, i'm going to be applying to schools soon to to uh for, to go to film school, to learn how to act and all that. and uh, But I've always wanted to be an actor. And the reason why his story inspires me is because now he's actually living out that dream. He's actually working. He's he's directing a film. Um, and that that's so incredible. And I'm so happy for him. And it inspires me because, you know, to this day, there's people in my life, you know, particularly in my family, you know, not to throw them under the bus, but there's people in my family that just don't believe in me and don't believe in what I'm doing. And I'm not trying to sit here and, you know, cry for pity and and, and sympathy or whatever. It actually just inspires me. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that can probably relate to what I'm talking about. I have friends, uh, I'm sure that probably don't, you know, believe in what I'm doing. Uh, But yeah, I, I, like I said, I have family members that just aren just just aren't confident in, in in you know me being an actor and whatnot and, you know and a lot of it comes from you know a place of love i'm sure but still like it, it can be very discouraging to a lot of people and to a certain degree it is discouraging to me but I, it also motivates me it makes me want to prove to people that like i can do this you know what i mean and 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 i just basically the message of, of you know the point i'm trying to say is like to anybody out there that whatever you want to do like you know, just, just, just go for it. Like, don't, don't worry about what other people have to say. And I'm speaking as if like, I've done it, I've made it. No, I'm still, I'm still in the trenches. I'm still in the process of it myself. I haven't done shit. You know what I mean? So I still got a long ass way to go. Um, But to anybody, you know, like me in that regard, that really wants to pursue something in their life, whether it's, you know, creative or any, anything, I, I don't know just don't listen to anybody else and, and just listen to your inner compass, right? That is what's going to guide you. You have to be able to have this undoubtfulness in yourself that like, I can do this and nobody else is going to convince me otherwise, right? Like you have to really follow that, your your intuition. Um, and it's going to be tough. And I, I know it's going to be tough. I haven't even broke into any of the you know, I haven't really faced any real challenges in, in my pursuit to being an actor yet because I know they're going to come. I know it's going to be hard as fuck. And to be honest with you, I may not even be successful as an actor, right? That's that's always a possibility. I, I don't want to think like that. But the thing that I don't want to happen in my life is I don't want to be 67 years old and be bitter and be miserable just thinking, you know, oh, I listen to other people and You know, I got this job. I did this. I did what people told me I should do, right? A lot of people will think they know what's best for you, but only you really know what's best for you. And instead of pursuing what I wanted to do, I pursued what other people thought was meaningful instead of listening to myself. So not to get too serious here and all that. Or, you know, get all preachy, motivational. That's not what I'm trying to do here. Because there's a lot of, you can find a lot of content like that from people that will just blur out bullshit about, you know, just, just do it. Just whatever. I'm not trying to do that. I'm, what I'm trying to say is Chris Stuckman's story is incredibly inspiring to me because we see that this guy has been through hell. He's been through the terrain. And he, he he's come out on top. And I'm sure he's probably not satisfied either. I'm sure if you ask him he's probably got so much more he wants to accomplish. But he he he's finally sort of broken this wall, right? And he's talked about how through this, you know, exposure and through this engagement that his story is getting with this whole Kickstarter campaign, it's it's uh attracted a lot of attention to him from big studios. He, he didn't name them, but like that's just so exciting and Hopefully with my journey, you know, I could be successful in the space and uh, just, you know, I said prove to other people, but really just prove to myself, right? That this is something that I can do. It's not just a a pipe dream, right? Um, But anyways, I'll keep it there. I don't want to ramble on about this. Um, That's just sort of, you know, TED talk, if you will. I don't fucking know. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. That's going to wrap up. Uh, today's episode of unbashful um and yeah i will see you on episode 25.